1: Hey there Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. And wh- oh, wait, what's that? Oh, it's a sweet, sweet can of success. That's right. It is. Well, it's not quite twenty years in the making because, you know. We had those couple of years, the one in particular, but man, I woke up today and it was a Monday and my paternity leave ended. I had to drag myself back into Brooklyn to uh, the the thing that I also do in addition to this. And I got to tell you, I had been dreading this day for for a few weeks, Um, but it was sweet. And it was sweet because you scroll down Twitter you go on the internet, anywhere. You, you look outside your window, and it's just everybody. As I, it's actually by the way, not a can of success. It was a can of Guinness, which I'm not pouring. Um, everybody is celebrating the New York Knicks. Um, I am I am recording this. I should tell you, um, on Monday afternoon, this little introduction, which notably is before they play on Tuesday night. Um, So, hopefully, when you are listening to this, and you are listening to this episode, um, they will have won yet again. If not, you know what? Not the end of the world. Um, things are good. Things are good in Knicks land. And, and for real, though, um, when the entire basketball media apparatus kind of stops what it's doing and acknowledges um, the surprising success of one team in particular, and it seemed like that's kind of what everybody agreed to do after this past weekend, um, it means something. It means something to the organization. It means something to the fan base. It means something to the players. It means something to all of us. Um, so, you know, they're not going to win every game for the rest of this year. Uh, maybe that next loss came last night. Maybe it's going to come tonight. Maybe it's coming this weekend. Um, probably not winning the championship this year. Sorry to be a party pooper. But the point is, you know, this season, I think now, I I, I don't want to jinx it, but it, it's hard to envision us sitting here a month or a month and a half or two months from now and not saying that this was really successful so everybody I hope you have taken the requisite time and um, brain space to soak it in and enjoy it as I take a sip of my celebratory Guinness which I've been waiting all day to pour (laughs) Um, again as I'm recording this just after I got home on Monday Um, so The episode that you are about to hear uh, recorded last week, um, but it is uh, just as pertinent as it was then because I am talking to our draft expert um, that we brought on this year. Um, recommended by none other than Spencer Perlman himself, Jake Rosen. So you probably heard uh, Jake on an episode a couple of months ago kind of giving us the lay of the land very generally on the draft. And, you know, it was a good intro to the draft for people who may not have been uh, that familiar with the prospects, the big-time prospects um, yet. And uh, if you want that primer, go back and check that episode out. I think it was towards the end of February. But this is going to be... More Knicks-specific, and even more specifically, uh, this episode is very point guard-specific. And we talk a lot about all the point guards who um, are slated to be drafted in the first round. Um, we talk about the Baylor kids. We talk about some of the other guys. Um, and Jake basically takes you through what's great about these players, Um as my daughter's yelling in the background, um, what's you know maybe not so great about these players, and also why, in his opinion, maybe going point guard in this draft is not the way to go. Um, but I'll let him tell you why that is. Um, we also talk about trades, what it would take to trade up, whether anybody's worth trading up for. Um, we really run the gamut. So if, if you want a kind of middle-of-the-way Knicks draft primer before we get, like, right up to the draft, which, again, is going to be at the very end of July. We'll do one more of these episodes with Jake before then, but this is kind of an in-between period where it's like, okay, we know pretty much where the Knicks are going to draft, um, barring anything crazy at this point, um, and we know what their needs are. So let's get a little bit more in-depth than a a general, general draft pod. So uh, Jake Rosen is coming up. Uh, We also do have a little bit of news. We have, uh, well, we have an award to give out. It is an award uh, not bestowed by the Knicks Film School team here, uh, but by the National Basketball Association. And it is their Player of the Week award, which was granted to one Julius Randle, thanks to um, his leading the Knicks to a 4-0 week. Um, two wins over the Pelicans, one win over the Mavericks, and uh, a win over the um, hated uh, Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, over the course of the, those games, those four games, he averaged over 35 points, over 8 rebounds, over 6 assists. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I don't know what you want me to say other than uh, he has pushed himself very violently into the all-NBA discussion. It is, that is a very real thing. Um, and for anybody who wants a little bit more in-depth exploration of the numbers and facts and figures and advanced stats and comparisons between him and the other guys he's vying with for a spot on one of the All-NBA teams, uh, check out uh, Monday's Knicks Film School newsletter, uh, which is, was completely free. We still, I still do the once a week for free newsletter, um, and I go into all that. So congratulations to Julius Randle. Um, good job by him. And uh, that is about it by way of by way of news and notes. Um, just a reminder again, you're listening to this on um, a Wednesday. The next played last night, you're not going to hear me talk about that because as I'm recording this and as the episode was recorded, hasn't happened yet. But that doesn't mean you still can't hear um, some thoughts and analysis of that game. All you need to do is refresh your podcast feed or if you prefer, go to YouTube um, and you could see the post game live stream, which... I am very happy to say Jeremy Cohen took on. Um, I know it hasn't happened yet, but I could say confidently um, that he did a fantastic job on the live stream. uh, That is, again, taking place right after the Hornets game. And you can check out on your podcast feed or um, on YouTube. I think that is it. So without further ado, let us get to my conversation with our... Draft expert this year, Jake Rosen. Joining me now. Very excited for this one. Um, This is the second edition of the Knicks Film School. uh, Let me think of an official name. The official Knicks Film School draft-looking, insight, other smart-sounding words. Um, And joining me for this draft season again, uh, he is, as good as it comes, when it comes to all things NBA draft, he is uh, one of the hosts of the Prep to Pro pod with Max Carlin. Um, you could find his stuff at JakeInThePaint.com. And as he just told me, and as I think I may have to join him now on Wednesday nights on Locker Room nine Eastern, um, he hosts co-hosts a, a draft show on Locker Room with Henry Ward, uh, welcoming back Jake Rosen. Jake, hello, sir. How are you?
2: I'm doing. I was doing great. I'm doing even better after that <laughs> impressive introduction.
1: You're an impressive <laughs> guy. What, what can I say?
2: Glad to be back. Um, talking draft is probably my favorite thing to do in the entire world, and what better to do it than through the lens of my favorite NBA team, the Knicks? Well, um so yeah, let's. We can get into it. Um, and you,
1: you talk about the draft so much. So I was, I we got the first show out of the way, which was just like giving all of our, uh, the listeners kind of the broad strokes about um, the draft. And we focused on the top because at the time, I think I looked up, we recorded, I think, at the in the middle of February, middle to the end of February. And I think there was definitely, for me at least, some thought at that time that like, hey, we could still wind up in the top five. That is possible now, but the odds of that happening are, I think, very, very small. So um, I'm looking forward to being able to focus more on some Nick centric draft questions, um, and and there are there are several. Um, but before we get to those Nick centric draft questions, I'm going to start by asking you a general question, which you've, you've probably been been asked or thought about in the last. Um, when did the tournament end? It's been a week and a half now, right? Yeah, about um, a week and a half. Yeah, about a week and a half. Um, any big changes for you in terms of your rankings in terms of like, like, wow, I didn't think this guy was this or that, or like, man, this person really disappointed from the tournament that you came away with that like influenced your your rankings or anything in a significant way?
2: Uh, So I've talked about this on Twitter. I've talked about this on offline. It was actually one of the big hitting points of Henry and I's first show in locker room, which is basically to not overreact in either direction to the NCAA tournament. And say why why should you not do that? At the end of the day, 40 minutes is 40 minutes, and one sample size is one sample size. So I I try to approach every game the same. Obviously, some opponents are going to carry more weight because it's more similar to NBA projection. But I, I remember when John Morant was coming out and he played Florida State. And for a skinny guard who made his money by attacking the rim. Florida State's probably the worst matchup you could ever get, especially in that Murray State team where there was basically one other guy that could handle the ball. And Ja had a really tough time. He ended up having a decent style line box score-wise because he had a couple of threes. But everyone knew that wasn't really his game. And his slashing kind of the flaws reared their heads. And I think a lot of people probably overreacted that game a little bit and tried to extrapolate that. Uh, John Marantz is one example. Uh, guys, in this class, uh, Davion Mitchell, uh, all of a sudden, is a top ten prospect.
1: You're you're stealing uh, I mean, my next question. I can't. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're like you're giving me the softball. I'm gonna give it right back to you. This is great. Keep talking. So
2: uh, I think the big names that trended in either direction this tournament are Davion Mitchell, and then on the negative side, I think Moses Moody has been catching a lot of flack. Who. I love dearly. And Franz Wagner ended on a very negative note as well. And basically what Henry and I were getting at in our locker room show is, look, it's okay to acknowledge that these guys didn't play their best games. They were, not, we're not in the business of sweeping negative performances under the rugs and only paying attention to highlights. However, there's a time and a place and there's a space to actually contextualize why these performances look the way they did. And for Franz and Moody specifically, Henry and I both, talked about team context and matchup wise. And they're neither of those guys are, are prospects who are going to get theirs off the bounce reliably. That's just not their game. That's not their wiring. They're going to play within the flow of their team's offense. And in March, similar to the NBA playoffs, we see teams get stagnant down the stretch sometimes. And I think that's something that hurt both of those guys. And contra- on the contrary, someone like Davian Mitchell who was absolutely incredible and deserves all the credit in the world for his play it doesn't take away the entire sample size of this season and everything in the past. And I think we're going to get to that because I think he's someone that you're definitely going to want to talk about. So we can talk. Him.
1: Let's get, let's get to him right now because um, I, so I've talked to Spencer a little bit off offline um, as maybe you have to about Davion and um You know, I like to cut to the point and cut to the chase. And I'm like, is he an NBA starting point guard? And uh, Spencer has told me, uh, no, he's not. He's he does nice things. And and we'll talk about some of those nice things that he does. But no, he's not. He's not. He doesn't think he's an NBA starting point guard. Um, And I have I'm also a general generally a very big fan of Jonathan Wasserman. And Jonathan Wasserman has been active on Twitter of late saying like, the track record for older guys like this who go, you know, and ha- like kind of pop and then enter the draft is not exactly um, Sterling. So uh, what are we like? Well, first, let me ask you this. Where is, is Davion Mitchell on your board? If, if you're not an exact number, but like roughly
2: where is he? Or what, like what tier? Uh, he's, like he's around the 20, around 20, give or take a couple of spots. Okay. Uh, probably on the lower side, like I'm more comfortable in the low 20s rather than the mid to high teens. I, I wouldn't throw a fit if he went 18th or 17th. Okay. This is all about the draft. It's all about context. And for some teams, he will make sense in the teens. Other te- other teams, I wouldn't really even sniff him towards the late first, but and it all varies. But for me personally, I, I'm most comfortable with him around 20. And there's some so, other guys that I just, in a vacuum, prefer.
1: Is, so I, is it... um. What worries you more about him? Is it the ceiling or the floor, or is it? Should I have? Should I frame that question in, in a different context?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, personally, for me, I just think I, I think the floor is probably getting a little bit overrated, in my opinion. Okay. Um. I. So he's old. So that explains the projection. Twenty-two. And uh, the production. So he's twenty-two. Yeah, so in, he's
1: he's twenty-two now, right?
2: Let's yeah. See. Yeah. He's 22 now. So I, I, I said projection, I meant production. Um, production yeah. That You might be able to appoint the production to that. And, and also, he's going to be
1: 23 by the time next season starts. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, yeah. So the, so in terms so you just mentioned production, um, so, like his yeah. production in years past was not this obviously.
2: And yeah, so what I was basically getting at is I, I just think the role is a little bit more blurry than what people think. And I think and you were getting at it with, look, is this guy a starting point guard? And I would say no. I, I His raw assist numbers are pretty good, but I think you, you still saw the struggles with him to make these layered reads where he's forced to... Read backside help. There, there's not a ton of manipulation there. Watching all the Baylor games, I think Butler, his teammate, is, is he made as a superior passer um, by a pretty decent margin. And we're talking about with, him soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the thing with Davion is that it, it was very easy for him the college game. His standstill burst is absolutely incredible. He is a ridiculous athlete with the frame, the lateral quickness, the way he's able to get downhill in a split second. And what you saw, especially this was true in the tournament his ability to just draw easy rotations and create these windows for himself to make passing reads that aren't necessarily beyond complex. And you just have to wonder, does he have incredible NBA speed or does he have good NBA speed? And I think he has incredible college speed and I think he is a top tier athlete, but I I just am a little concerned with the lack of We talk about this all the time. The the lack of variance in the ways he creates advantages. It's not necessarily with his handle. It's not with change of pace. It's more just, I'm going to beat you because I'm faster than you. And that's okay. And that works, but I'm not fully comfortable banking that as my starting point guard. Another thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is the shooting. I I was about to ask. So the
1: perimeter, there's, and again, I'm getting better at this. There's shooting on the perimeter, which we could talk about when we, I'm sure we'll mention uh, Corey Kispert again. And then there's shot creation on the perimeter. So where I'm more concerned about the, where is the shot creation at with Davion Mitchell?
2: So I personally think Davion Davion is one of those guys where he's a shot maker. I don't necessarily think he's a shooter. He has incredible space creation <laughs> methods, uh, the, the jab step, besides He had won, at the, I forgot which game it was, but at the end of the half in one of those games where he just ISOed and you knew he was going to a hang dribble three, but pulled out a nasty space creation combo before he took it. And I, I just, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but if I can recall correctly, I think at Auburn, he was around a 28% three-point shooter in his first year. Okay. Then last year at Baylor, I think he was around 32%. And now he's up to 44%, which is just a drastic leap. And also you have to look at the free throw percentage, which I think is a pretty decent indicator. Um, it's in the not 60s, really right? Yes, and he yeah. has consistently been in the 60s throughout his entire college career. Not, so not I'm not a a one point. who's, who's going to really split hairs over free throw percentage. I'm not going to say, oh, a guy can or can't shoot because the, he's shooting 73% and the other guy's shooting 77%. Uh, but at some point for a guard, there is a number where I'm willing to raise some, raise some eyebrows and his consistency for three years straight of being around 64% is a little worrisome to me. And, and that's where I think you know, you get this more of a, he's a shot creator and a, shot, a tough shot maker, which is valuable. And there is a place for that. And I don't want to seem like I'm just ripping him to shreds because I do think well, he no, carves out a role the, in the league. The, yeah. the train, the hype
1: train has him as a top 10 pick. And that's, that's you know, you need to be a certain... Yeah have a certain ceiling in my, in my view, in a, especially in a draft like this, which I still think is overall a pretty good draft um, to warrant that. And it's, I think you're just putting it into context.
2: Yeah. I, I do think he carves out a role in a league in the role role in the league. It's just not something I'm willing to spend a top 10 pick on. And okay. it's, that's kind of what I'm getting at.
1: Okay, um, his teammate you you mentioned him before. So uh, again, referencing Spencer, who's um, much smarter than I will ever be, um, has told me he he prefers Butler um, to to Mitchell out of the two for for Baylor. And I my impression just watching them, and I've watched them I don't know probably a twentieth as much as as you have is that Butler is I see more of a point guard in Butler and maybe. There are some things that he can't do that Mitchell can, but if you're asking me right now, I, I would rather have Butler. So I'll, I'll ask the same to you. Who would
2: you rather have and, and why? Yeah, um, I, I definitely prefer Butler. And a reason for that is, and you hit the nail on the head, the, the biggest improvement, Butler made two huge strides over this offseason. I wrote about it earlier on when it was very apparent. And the two big strides he made as as a true point guard and as a facilitator and as a lead guard making nuanced reads the reads the layered reads that i talked about that davion wasn't necessarily making butler is making those on a regular basis he has every and this is someone who as a sophomore was a little erratic as a decision maker and was kind of viewed as a combo and a defensive negative i was still a fan and i would have taken him in the late first if he had declared as a sophomore so he came back and all those the, the calling cards with him were still there: the off-ball shooting, the ability to play on and off, scalable in the backcourt, and just he turned, he completed this pick and roll arsenal. And now, long he's not just a scorer; he's a facilitator. And the things that he was doing to drop bigs in college basketball is just borderline unfair and criminal. Uh, the bag he has, uh, I, 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 don't know if he is I don't think he has. Uh, I think I would probably say he has the best handle in the draft. I. S- you really know exactly where I'm going because, like,
1: again, I'm watching. So let's, you know, as an example, Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly has figured out ways to penetrate the defense, but he needs a screen to do it. And once he gets into the teeth of, teeth of a defense, we're still waiting to see if he could make those advanced reads and make those advanced passes. It seems like Butler is a guy who's going to be really good on the pick and roll. But now you're telling me with the handles that, Maybe there's even more than him as a pick and roll penetrator, or I'm or so, misreading that.
2: So, the, the problem with Butler is without a ball screen, everything's a little bit difficult because he's a poor athlete. I, I wish somehow we could combine his skill set and Arsenal <laughs> with Davion's standstill burst. And we're <laughs> I mean, talking about a lead guard that could take the Knicks to, the, to another level. Yeah. But nonetheless, no prospect is perfect. And, and that's what you're getting with Butler. It, it's honestly what do you prefer and what you're willing to bank on. I personally trust that guards that are as skilled as Butler and have a, he's already very seasoned and he knows he, he's never been the best athlete. And so he knows how to compensate. We saw okay. with someone like Malachi Flynn in last year's draft. Malachi has never been the best athlete and he still isn't the best athlete. Not a bad fourth quarter last night. He five threes. five threes. <laughs> and, and Malachi is starting to really figure things out in the NBA. And yeah, we're is. seeing we're seeing. That stop start, the change of pace, yeah. the craft finishes, and it's not easy. The, the finishes with Butler, and I am nervous about him around the rim. That, that's something I wrote about back in December, January, whenever I published that. And those issues still hold true. He'll, he'll get blocked at the rim. He does rely, and, and unlike Davian, he can't just elevate and go. It has to be crafty. It has to be skilled. It has to be deceptive. And, and that's sort of what you're looking at. At, and that's kind of where he shares with quickly is I think that's my biggest long-term concern quickly is yes. him getting to the rim and, and finishing there instead of just settling in the in-between area. And that's right. what I will say with Butler is he, he is good at getting there. He has floaters, he has a little pull-up, but he doesn't settle as much as I think most people would assume.
1: Okay. Um, and the shooting, is it, are we, is
2: he an elite shooter? Is he a, just a sub elite shooter? Where, where do you have it? So I don't, I don't think, I don't know if he's an elite shooter, but he's a very damn good one. And (laughs) I like, and again, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's been consistent uh, throughout his time at Baylor. And what I love most is his versatility. He's comfortable pulling up with his left or right hand, which is something that I think is noteworthy for those people who have really played basketball really notice righty is pulling up off their right hand. It's not as comfortable at all. People are very comfortable doing that little hang dribble like Michael Porter Jr. special a little hang dribble with your left yeah. and you get into his one-two and it flows very easily. Butler, multiple pull-ups with his right hand with goofy footwork that he's comfortable with. And with Butler, it's just all I don't want to say like, I hate when people say, Oh, he's a gym rat, but like you can tell everything has been wrapped and wrapped and wrapped. And he's just uh-huh. very comfortable with things that to other people are unorthodox, but to him, that's how he wins. And that's probably my favorite part about his game is that he he's comfortable taking the alternate route because he knows that's how he's going to beat the defense. Cause he, there are ways when he gets bottled up and he had a couple games in the tournament where he didn't look great, honestly. and, and those athleticism or the lack of athleticism was probably the main culprit behind that. But that's not to say that there aren't ways to compensate. Okay.
1: Um We, we don't spend a lot, a lot of time on this, but just very briefly, do you think that there, like when he comes into the league, is he a guy that you would personally think will be ready to pl- contribute, you know, to a, a decent rotation fairly fast?
2: Yeah. I mean, playing point guard as a rookie is probably one of the hardest jobs in basketball. However, I think Butler is someone who you could rely on to be in the rotation because he has such a translatable skill set. It's going to take a little bit of time for him to adjust to the extra level of physicality, the extra length, the extra sure. speed, Every all, MB, all NBA athletes, all things that rookies have to generally adjust to. But in the end, in the end I do think you have a bankable skill set to contribute at some level. And that's people have uh, the turnoff with butler is that he doesn't have such a high ceiling but i, I think that stuff kind of gets overblown sometimes and there there are good gambles and i think there's someone in this class that i think represents that well uh, we're at the league um, spot and I'm, I'm sure i, I, we'll I wonder if him. it's i wonder if it's the same i wonder if it's the same guy that i have in mind actually i have it's probably not the same guy that i have in mind um but we're gonna we're gonna get to a gamble in, in a little bit. Um, yeah, I just, I, I do think Butler is a safer play in this class uh, that he can, like I said, he can go on and off the ball. He has NBA range. He has a pick and roll bag. He can play. I know he can play an NBA pick and roll from day one that, that I am very confident. in. But that's it's like, if you're going to give
1: me a safe player, give me a safe player who could shoot, give me a safe player who could run a pick and roll and give me a safe player who can handle the ball. And then, and, and who can play defense and defend his position. Like that's and, the safe. Yeah. So that
2: was, that was another thing from Butler this year. He definitely took a big step on the defensive side. He by no means is he Davion Mitchell. He doesn't necessarily overwhelm at the point of attack, but completely can hold his own, which wasn't necessarily the case at all times last year, and shown some instinct instinctual and anticipatory reads in by jumping passing lanes here and there, making timely digs. he again, he's not Davion on that trucking him up to be. He's at Jaden Springer. He's not one of the elite guard defenders in the draft, but considering where he was at as a sophomore and where I was at with him as a sophomore, again, it's just another step in the right direction.
1: So uh, you brought up one of the names. So I was going to throw a couple names at you um, uh, and you tell me where you, well, actually maybe I should ask you this. Who is, who is the top point after uh, Suggs?
2: Who's the, who's your top point guard on your board? I am holding my Shreve Cooper stock. Um, okay. Contrary to other people, I- I'm standing pat. I- it's not as clean cut as I thought it was. <laughs> and there are a couple of reasons for that. What are they? The shooting, the shooting is tough. Uh, it, it, so that's a kind it, word for it. It. <laughs> it, it, can, it can keep me up at night sometimes. Not actually, yeah. but if I were a GM, it would. And... I do think there are avenues, and we just had PD web on our podcast to talk about this. And I'm not one to totally buy into the whole touch thing as the only indicator, but I do think it means something. And with Sharif, Sharif is basically the craziest touch lob passer I've scouted seen at the college level, okay. uh, the touch, the placement, the, the anticipation, all the, obviously anticipation doesn't have anything to do with it, but I think there is something to be said for the smoothness he's able to throw these live drill passes with, especially the lobs towards the rim and maybe extrapolating that into shooting improvement. But it goes without saying the the mechanics seem to get overhauled. And that's it. If you, if you don't trust your player development staff to treat those mechanics, then I I wouldn't even draft him to be honest. I I think that's where you need to be at because it does need to be overhauled because with Sharif, we're talking about a clear defensive negative and and there's no way around that. He's probably five eleven at best scrawny. He's never going to be able to provide positive value, even guarding other point guards. It's, you're going to bleed value there. So if... But if yeah, you're talking ahead. ceiling,
1: if you're talking ceiling and I think it's... Well, I, so I'm getting ahead of it I was just going to say, this this front office and, and I guess this coaching staff by extension seems to really value work ethic because if it's one thing Obi Toppin has had... I don't know if it's a rookie year from hell, but he has not had a great rookie year. the the, the um The work ethic seems uh, to be there. Um, they, they all are still praising how, you know, he's watching film and this and that. Um, so, and Emmanuel quickly, they talked about him coming in great conditioning. He seems to be a gym rat to use your term that you used before. Um, you know, Randall got himself, like, clearly they are placing value on this as a, as a, as a trait that they want to build this Knicks, you know, infrastructure around. Like we want guys that work hard. So, I does the does the fact that Cooper is like such a bad defender is that is that just based on his size? Is he are you do you see signs that he's just like
2: he's dogging it or like where, where is he a bad defender? I mean, I so I think the effort Sharif has oh has never been someone who's buying in completely on defense, and a lot of that okay. can be attributed to the offensive load that he's carried at every single level. Right. I, I don't know what his usage was, but it was I think it was in the mid to high thirties. Oh, I, I hold my I'll pull Alderman it up right now yeah. um, just anecdotally any anything he did everything for them and it, with a ball screen without a ball screen and the reason why I do think there is a ceiling <laughs> thirty <outcome> for <laughs> Cooper 33.1% <laughs> 33. 33. usage yeah.
1: usage <laughs> my god
2: okay. I think the assist percentage is also like nuts there too um, he had a 50 with, assist percentage with, for a while I think yeah, 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 yeah. so crazy. with with Cooper the, the ceiling outcome is that you have someone who is able to just because of his quick twitch, his handle, his ability to just get into tight spaces and eat up paint touches combined with the passer that he is and the reads and the cable. Like he's throwing, he's capable of throwing every single pass in the book. And more importantly, he's he makes every read and it's all on the fly. Nothing is predetermined. His turnovers are ambitious. Let me. Not I don't want to I I don't want to say he's just trying things because that gives him too much benefit of the yeah, doubt. Yeah. But the turnovers aren't his turnovers are rarely because he predetermined to read and didn't react. It's because he's reacting so quickly and then getting too ahead of himself, which it's important to contextualize all these stuff, all these things. And that's something I'm willing to live with. Now, the downside is, and this was pretty evident in the Kentucky game, and I've talked with a couple of people about this. The length can bother him at times because he is very small and he's a poor athlete. It sure and, did in that game. I remember watching yeah, that the game. The, 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 at, the game at Kentucky was brutal. It was, rough. Uh, it was, it was, rough. It was very rough. There's but no that was his worst
1: game it. of the year, right? Worst game clearly, of yeah, okay. worst okay. game of the year, yeah.
2: worst game of the year, pretty clearly. And but and like I said, like you don't want to overreact to one game. The John Morant, Florida State game that we talked about. But it is worth noting that I don't think Shrief is more than 5'11". I think he's probably legit 5'11", maybe six feet. And so the margin for error, you just have to embrace it, that the margin for error is very thin. And he's likely not someone because of the role he needs to play as this ball-dominant guard with questionable shooting. And he's going to derive his value from being on the ball and playmaking for others and getting into the paint, running pick and rolls. He's going to need possessions to give the value that he needs. So... The median outcome for him is really interesting to think I, about because well,
1: there is no he's he's either a guy who's probably not going to be helping an NBA team at all or he could be a transcendent like top ten starting point guard if he track track
2: up and now. that's kind of what I'm getting at it and I hate yeah. the term boomer bust because I do think high ceiling often results in high floor but with him it's really interesting because. If he's not this ball dominant point guard that he's always been, what role what does he? he slide into? And and when do you draft that guy? Do and when dra- do you draft I, that guy? It's well, really tough. When when are you? When would you draft him if you? You know, I think he's probably the guy that varies most based on team infrastructure. Okay. Like if I was uh, PDS tweeted this, like if I was
0: the Spurs, he's a get for me, an absolute get. i okay. talk about one of the. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast that's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
2: premier shooting development staffs in the entire in the entire league and more importantly they they have the current roster to surround him and isolate him with all these wings. They have a lot Vassell, of really good Keldin, players. Keldon, DeJounte. I mean, talk about defensive guards that can cover up for him at the guard spot between Derek yeah. White and DeJounte and then yeah. the guys in the wings, Keldon, Vassell, uh, and just all those guys who can help insulate him and make him bleed as little value as possible. And I usually hate and, and when people say like, oh, if the Spurs draft, but this makes perfect sense. It, it really is. And perfect. and for once, it's not an international guy. Uh, we're talking yeah. <laughs> about an American guy.
1: <laughs> Thank you for that on uh, Sharif. I think that's, that's a perfect encapsulation of him. So, okay. We talked about him. We talked about the two Butler guys and, and the other guys I was going to ask you about in terms of point guards, I was going to ask you about Trey Mann, Um and I was going to ask you about, uh, well, Springer, we talked about last time. I I mean I, I don't really know what else there is to say about Springer where where is he on your board roughly right So now?
2: Springer Springer's one of the more mind-boggling cases in terms of mainstream hype I don't what is what is mind-boggling
1: about it to you or or
2: do you Um know? so he's currently on ESPN's board he's at 28 Okay which Makes no sense to me. Um, I have him as a clear-cut top 10 guy. I can't find 10 guys in this class that I'd rather have. And he's someone that I, I'm pretty fascinated by for the Knicks, honestly. And there's a couple me reasons too. for that. And Can I just give you my quick take? Before yeah, go. 100%. I, from,
1: hit me. From, and again, this is having a 50th of, of what you have. But I did tune into Tennessee a few times this year, and it that team felt like, if there's a if there's a situation where we were to look back in a few years and be like, wow, we really didn't see anything that this guy, they they kept the handcuffs on, not you know maybe the handcuffs on the guy, but like it it just felt like we weren't seeing what he was capable of on in that particular situation. Am, am I misreading that?
2: Yeah, and it was that. Team context was tough, and I feel like they were just never as good as anyone thought they were, evident by them getting run off the floor in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And the thing with Springer is that he was, he's 18 years old. Everyone knows he's the youngest American nice. in, the cl- yeah. in the class, and that matters. Uh, I'm not someone who is going to necessarily split hairs between a 19 year old and a 21 year old, or a 21 year old and a 20 year old. I think at that point, it's somewhat the same, but when someone is extremely young for their age and is a legit productive and plus player in the SEC on both ends of the floor, that's not where they do me. And the thing with him is he was bullying guys as an 18 year old. He was winning with strength. He's moving guys. He's dropping his shoulder. So just imagine when he's 24 and he's had six more years in the NBA strength and conditioning stat. Like his I think hype, his and, hype tapes in high school were fucking crazy. Yeah, and the thing with Springer is that it's unorthodox, and I think that rubs people the wrong way. Everyone likes to see it traditional, and he's not traditional by any sense. He he plays off of two feet from eight feet and in for these little push shot floaters and pull-ups. He plays off two feet at the rim. He's a power athlete. He's not necessarily explosive in the half court. I guess that's the stigma around him. I would argue that he's definitely more explosive than he gets credit for, the, like the power that and Henry and I were talking about this on text, like the power that he's able to generate getting downhill in his lower body. And then the control to stop on a dime and contort his body around help. It's it just re he has special, unique athletic traits, but, and it's actually something I'm writing about whenever I get the time is, <laughs> that that is these you. traits, these traits aren't traditional. So people don't know how to identify them, but okay body control and stop start and the ability to play off of two and avoid help is just as valuable as your vertical leap, if not more valuable, because that's the way that's actual functional tools that are going to help you in a real game. How often do you get the chance to take six dribbles and four full length strides in route to doing a windmill dunk in a a real game? You don't, it it doesn't happen. It's so as cool as these, Combine vertical leaps and the Cassius Stanley post workout dunks—they're they're cool, but they they don't represent functional athleticism. And I think Jaden Springer probably epitomizes functional athleticism more than anyone in the class. And I, I honestly, run. the big reason—the the, big—the big reason why I'm very into him is I'm not so sold on any lead handlers in this class. Like I so would like Sharif at, at one po- with one of the picks. So wait, you really have, like Sharif, you have a Sharif higher than Springer, and, and Springer, and Spr- Springer's, Springer's higher than Sharif. Springer's higher a, than Sharif. On okay, my board, okay. there are teams that I think Sharif might be more of a get, but I'm I'm way more comfortable with Springer. Okay, and it took me a while to get around to that. Ben Pfeiffer has been bullying me for five months to get around to that. I, I'm finally there. And okay. it's just because Jane Springer is just, it's like something I don't really want to overthink. It's kind of all right in front of you. Okay. And that's why I'm a little bit mind boggled about the the hype is that you have someone who's going to be a legit two-way combo guard who has creation, equity, and upside. And basically the one thing that needs to come around for him for it to all work is the catch and shoot jumper.
1: Um, is the catch and shoot jumper. But he, yes. but the percentage is is good this year, right? on on his
2: on his three. So very low volume. I, I know very, it's like less than two a game. <laughs> very very selective with the attempts. He had a cup what I think the game against Kentucky at home where he was gunning and I was watching it live and I was like, whoa, like this is something. And I think if you look at his game log, he had a stretch where he got much more aggressive from three. I haven't watched Tennessee in a little bit just because I was pretty much watching their Like I was in a routine for about three weeks of like Tennessee played, I would watch a game the next morning. I was yeah. could not get enough of those guys. So I've cooled off. The, I've just cooled off their tape a little bit. But from what I can remember is there he had a couple of game stretch where he was much more aggressive, whether that was from catch and shoot, right. that was pulling, getting to a spot and pulling up. So I, I think it is there at some point. It's just going to take a little bit to get out. But again, we're talking about someone who's incredibly smart, st- has, possesses great positional strength, as an unorthodox way of getting pain touches and creating advantages, and we're just waiting on one of the easier skills to develop to make the whole thing worthwhile. That's a, that's a bet that.
1: you could, you can make. Um, okay. I, last time I'm going to mention Spencer, I'm fairly certain. <laughs> Maybe it's changed, but I think Spencer has um, Trey man six on his board overall, um, which is way higher than anybody else that I've seen. Um, so from Florida, um, I believe is he's a sophomore. Am I getting that right? I hope he, is, yes. a yes. he is a sophomore. He's a sophomore, 20 year old sophomore. The shooting really um, was uh, nice towards the end of the year. Um his uh, he, he finished with a nice
2: stat line towards the end of the year. Where where are you on, on Trey Man? So Trey Man is someone that I is also I'm writing about Trey Man and Jaden Springer. So this is perfect. And Trey Man also all fits. All the point guards. The fun- Let's get all the point guards in the pool. So Trey Man on top of the shooting, which we'll certainly get to, he fits this functional athleticism idea that I'm ta- idea that I'm talking about. And is that he's slender, he doesn't get any vertical pop. I think he has zero dunks on the year, yet <laughs> He's able, this combination of his hand, his handle is absolutely wicked, but what makes the handle so functional and productive in a real game is his footwork and his ability to sell these moves. He is so shifty and loose and just like very elusive as a handler. And every in and out starts with a huge shoulder dip going to the other direction. Every snatchback back starts with an like a real hard plant going downhill. Every move is prefaced with something that te- screams, I'm doing this before he counters back. And that's why it's so functional. And all these things working together, it brings this to this functional athleticism where his just the unique body movements, the stop, start, the change of pace. It's again, it's unorthodox. It's it's not something that- How, how is he? Is he good at the rim? Say. Is he getting to the line? Like where? where's that part of it? So- so recently, he's been much more aggressive, getting to the rim and getting to the line. He's initiating contact. He's lengthy, and this is someone who really caught my eye. McDonald's American All-American Week when he was a senior, and they were doing ones, and it was him, it was him, Maxi, and Nico Mannion were doing ones in the half court, right. and Trey Mann was just getting to all these scoop finishes, same goofy leg, goofy leg, high up off the glass, great. Like he has incredible touch, uh, incredible touch, okay. floaters, scoop finishes, pull up jumpers, you name it, and. He's going to struggle at the rim just because he's a poor traditional athlete. Yeah. He doesn't get a ton of lift. He, he's not, I don't know if he's going to be able to initiate contact with NBA bigs right off the jump. He probably is not going to get those calls that he's getting right now, okay. but there have been some encouraging flashes that weren't there earlier in the season, but the calling card is absolutely the space creation and the shooting and the shooting is nuclear. I think he's nuclear. Thir- Whoa. Yes, nuclear, absolutely. The, the off the off the dribble shooting. I'm sold. So I, sold. Me. I <laughs> ran through this these numbers with Henry. I put together a little database from Bartorovic, and it was basically shots at the rim, shots in mid range, and shots from three, volume, percentages, and percent unassisted. And last year, the leader in the clubhouse for unassisted threes was Jordan Ford, who had 44% of his or on, he only assisted on 44% of his threes. And okay. for people don't know, Jordan Ford was small guard from St. Mary's. Anecdotally, I felt like he was getting everything off of pull-ups and he was at 44%. Anthony Edwards was like 46 or 47%. Okay. Uh, Trey Mann, I haven't been able to find anyone close to him historically. I've looked at Dame. I looked at Jimmer. I looked at, I guess Jimmer did a little bit more off ball. I tried try to think of every like nuclear shooter in the past. And I got Isaiah Ken, I think was the closest I came to. And Isaiah Ken was at like in the third, he was in the high 30s somewhere. More of the story. Trey man is at 33% of his oh, makes wow. are assisted. <laughs> so he That's on two out of one out of only one out of three of his makes are assisted. And keep in mind, these aren't just easy pull-ups. Like he's not getting a Simmons sag. This is him. All these are all self-created jumpers with his handle and his size and the quick trigger, um, Spencer was bombarding me in our locker room session so, last week to so what, mention, I'm, gonna, I'm putting so you, so on what the are you what are you missing yeah what um the the passing is good but not great the finishing is interesting I trust him there to an extent it's okay. just tough because they're all they're it's similar to Butler and these guards that aren't good athletes it's all compensation finishes and it's all crafty footwork it's all extension high up off the glass touch all things like that so i don't think he's going to be bad at the rim but i don't think he's ever going to be good if that makes sense the nah, passing is yeah. and defense the defensively he's more of a neutral guy but he's not cooper he's not cooper no okay. and he's also six five so there's that uh you're and, you, you you're selling me you, you may not even be trying it, but you're selling Trey, <laughs> man i i mean listen he, he's Really damn good. Uh, there's no way, no way, really around it. Like so pos- I, I
1: think I'll, 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 I will take if I'll take a chance on the guy that can get to the rim, figuring out how to be in the fiftieth percentile of rim fin- finishes yep. for his position. Yep. That's a, if the guy if the shooting is there and he gets there, you don't need it to be more than fiftieth, you know, forty fifth percentile. So, so you know, it's not you know fifteenth percentile or twenty, you know, like that. That's nope. that's what I'm being sold by right now.
2: Yep. So, the biggest thing for me, and this is what I've analyzed most in depth, this is his passing. And his passing is really interesting because if you remember last year to Kyra Lewis, and it's really yeah. easy to just comp them together. Kyra Lewis wasn't necessarily making the most impressive reads. Yeah. It was more about his functionality and his ability to just throw these live drill passes with both hands, whether it's a skip, a lay down, whatever you name it, he could do it, and he. He did not because of that and his speed. It was he had that blow by speed where he could just get past his primary every time. And similar to Davion, obviously it's not as outlier, but he was drawing the same type of rotations. And in the Pelicans game I've watched, that isn't betraying him. He's still getting downhill very quickly and getting good looks for teammates. So with man, he shares a lot of the same functionality. He can throw these skip passes with both hands. He's six five, so he can see over the defense in terms of smaller guards. But where he struggles is he's very, from what I found is he's very locked into his one read and and he can manipulate the defense when it's two on a a two on one. That's when I've seen his manipulation where he can sell the floater and then do a drop off or Euro step towards the corner. I like that. He's going up and then drop off. So it's simple manipulation. And the part that, Just doesn't sit. The only part that doesn't sit well with me, but I I am optimistic about the passing. The only part that doesn't sit well with me is that most of his turnovers in the game that I watched for the piece came from just being locked onto the first read and forcing it into a tight window when there was a weak side skip open. And, And sometimes he's a little bit ambitious in trying to fit in windows to the roller when he could just wait a split second and then skip it to the corner. So the layered reads, I keep using that word aren't necessarily there getting to your second and third progressions. I would like to see that more from him, but like I said, no prospects perfect and you got to take what you can get and project development and hope to extrapolate. So with man, the only reason I'm not as confident in the past against with Kyra is uh, like Kyra. I, I knew, that he would be able to create these advantages and draw rotations from the jump because of that blow by speed. Mannels is more complicated because he relies on that. He relies on change of pace, the handle, maybe a ball screen here or there, pull up gravity. He has avenues to draw these rotations. It's just not as clean cut as was well with Cairo.
1: Okay. Um, I didn't bring up Giddy. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name. Yeah, I, Giddy. I, I've not watched the second of him. He's a friend of does I know he's an international player. Apparently he's, he's had a nice season. I just don't think the Knicks are going to draft an international guy. I'm just throwing, throwing that right out there. Um.
2: um yeah. I don't know if uh, Giddy is. So Giddy is someone I've only watched two games of. Uh, so I don't have a ton to say. I've literally only watched two games, which is pretty minimal compared to everyone else we've talked about so far, just because I don't have access to, like I just found out that they were on Twitch. So oh, wow. I'll be getting oh, yeah. around to him soon, but with Giddy, he is a pretty wild passer. The playmaking and the reads, the defensive manipulation, it's all there. Uh, okay. he, he literally just in the game I watched and I, I was joking with PD about this after he recorded, he had his jersey untucked from the tip. And I don't know why that meant so much to me, but that was like the vibe <laughs> that I felt he was playing with. All, like, he's just like, look, I'm just like, I'm just out here hooping. Like I'm going to try, I'm going to try shit. Like it might not work, but like, I'm going to try everything. And Oops. it's cool the windows he's like i don't remember if i follow some nba nfl draft stuff like pretty vaguely and i've seen like something knock with justin fields like justin fields an incredibly accurate passer and i guess i think i saw one tweet i could be completely making this up but like the point will stand anyways and basically the thing with fields is that he knows how accurate he is and he knows how capable he is in like the short to mid range so He's just like extremely ambitious and fitting the ball into these tight windows that he probably shouldn't go for. Okay. That's how I feel about Giddy. Like, Giddy knows he can make every single pinpoint pass on the court. And some of the plays he was making are just like otherworldly passing. So, hmm. and I'm pretty optimistic. Okay. I'm more optimistic on the shot. It seems like I don't think he's like a 40% three point shooter, but it seems like the cold stretch that he got off to was more of an outlier bad stretch of games rather than the type of shooter he actually is the okay. shooting coming around would be huge because I don't really view him as this primary ball handler. And that's okay. Um, He's a very poor athlete with standstill burst. The handle is not good at all. Um, So there's just no real Avenue for him to necessarily create consistent advantages on the ball, but you don't need to do that when you're six, nine and he is a legit six, <laughs> nine. So I I think he's going to be really really interesting to sort of play this linking role. And, And the great thing about him is that he sees everything one step ahead. And for his and I had a clip from one of the games I watched. He made a ridiculous plus one, but like it wasn't a traditional like skip it around the perimeter. It was he caught the ball and then threw an absolute bullet to the role man. And in a tight window, and that's the stuff that Tyrese Halliburton does so well—passing off the ball, anticipating before, knowing where you're going to go with it before the ball even gets to you. Gotcha. So right when right when you touch it, it's it's hot potato, and not in a bad way. So Giddy is is pretty fascinating, and someone I definitely need to dig into more. But he, he's going to be really interesting, and that's kind of all I can say right now.
1: So we've just talked. I mean, it, it's funny. We um, i the reason I didn't bring up Suggs is because you know, again, Suggs is Suggs. We don't need to talk about him. But in addition to Suggs, um, we've just now talked about you know one, two, three, four, what six guys. Um, that's a lot of that's a lot of point guard possibilities. Um, and it's you know, I feel is there anybody who we haven't talked about that you could that is on your point guard radar as a guy that like you know watch out for this guy or something.
2: So at this point, I honestly just feel like the Knicks are never going to find a long-term point card. <laughs> I just don't know if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> ye, have, ye have little faith. Ye have little faith. I don't know if it's just ever going to happen. And this is what I will say is the Knicks have been incredibly fun this year. And while I don't, this isn't the draft, especially where our picks are going to end up. 15 and 20 around there. This isn't a draft that's going to instantly take us over the top. So I am not yeah. one to rush rebuilds. We finally have an infrastructure that I'm actually somewhat, I have some faith in like RJ Barrett is going to be a good NBA wing. I, I With Julius Randle, I'm not, I'm not fully sure. Um, Julius Randle, I'm not fully sure what the long-term Role is, I think he probably needs to get scaled down a little bit once we get ultra competitive in a a perfect world because, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, I'm there, and but that's that will be trouble in paradise for any Knicks fan if we have to worry about scaling Julius Randle down to a real playoff series. But basically, we're getting at is you have guys that can initiate some offense. I trust RJ Barrett to initiate some offense, I trust Julius Randle to initiate some offense, Emmanuel quickly. To an extent, yes. I don't know. The jury's still kind of out there. I, I think he's to a six ex-
1: man at this point. Yeah, I, I, I'm calling I, it. I think he's a six man. He's a really. I think he's gonna be a really good six man.
2: That's what. i And I'm I. That's kind of where I've been all along. And I hated the times where I thought where people called me the biggest pessimist in the world for saying that. But that, that, if you're a good six man on a good team, that's and with the twenty sixth, twenty fifth, or whatever, whatever yeah, late yeah, twenties, whatever that's it was,
1: a massive, massive, massive. That's player that's like that's, that's a guy like, that could yeah. you know yeah anyway we don't talk
2: about so but anyway. so basically what i'm kind of getting at is i don't really know if there's anyone like while i'm enticed which i'm very enticed with trey man and the possibilities he could bring to the next shreve cooper very enticed and i think and it's looked like he's going to be around in that range i'm not sure if i'm ready to just go for the primary initiator gamble or i hate using the word primary initiator right, lead so, guard
1: so well let's let's finish up here what it's let's call it right now it's the it's the, uh, how optimistic am I feeling today? It's the 16th and the 21st pick. Those are the picks. It's 16 and 22 or 21 and uh, 30, 33. Like those are your picks. You're, you're on, it's draft night. Like, what are you in your dream world? What do you want them to do? What do you hope they can do? Like, what would you, you know, would, would you be trying to to move up? Would you be, you know, just like, wh- where's your mindset for?
2: for so up. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be trying to move up if those were the picks because I personally don't really see a difference past eight, nine. I think the guys from ten or eleven on through thirty are so. More, wait, so are let, more let me stop you same. for a second. Yeah.
1: You don't think that they could get into the top? I know that I didn't wasn't even going to ask you if they get into so, the top five. You no, don't so even think they could get into the top eight or nine? Maybe.
2: But. So maybe they could, but if we're moving up to get Scotty Barnes or Jalen Johnson. I would much rather take two swings at fifteen and twenty, uh, okay. without a doubt. Um, I think that is the sort of capital. I remember a couple of years back, Kings and Blazers did a trading. It was like twenty and fifteen for. It 10. was fifteen.
1: It was the it was the the Collins trade. It was ten yes. for fifteen and twenty. Yeah.
2: Yep. So I, I think that's sort of the capital that you're looking at at that point. Springer is going to be on the board. I think Springer is, if those are the picks, I think Springer is probably the number one priority for me. So
1: you're taking um, multiple swings and I, 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 I'm, I tend to agree with you. I, I'm with you. I don't see, in, unless, unless Keon, John, and we, we talked about Keon Johnson last time, um, unless, unless they really think Keon Johnson is, is going to be, I, I, I don't, I don't know um, what the comp is for him. Whatever. Unless they're super high on Keon Johnson. He's the only guy that I personally see as like, Ooh, we need, we need to go up and get that guy. But
2: yeah. I mean, so the other than Keon, the guys at five, six, uh, eight, nine on my board are all guys that are looking like they're going to be available from 16 to 20. And so to, in my mind, why waste two picks and move up for someone that I don't even value in that range. I, If in an ideal scenario, let's say we're at sixteen and twenty, I would love to get two out of the four group of Springer, Zaire Williams, Moses Moody, or Franz. Um,
1: I was so I was I was going to ask you. I'm like, give me your your preferred um, guys that are not point guards. I knew you were going to say Moody. I knew you were going to say Franz. I'm I'm happy you said Zaire. Because so
2: Z- Zaire, Zaire is someone that I think when all the dust settles, I'm uh, going to end up really coming back around on. He just lo- I, we said this. Like, he just looks the part. And, and I, the I, thing, I know it didn't come together, but so the thing was Zaire. And after once the nuclear sh- shooting started to die down, you saw what it was going to look like. And there was no way he wasn't going to gain 20 pounds in a week. He, those struggles <laughs> were going to be the same. His, his freshman year was going to look the same in its entirety. Yeah. But the thing with Zaire is he, he he already gets the hard stuff. He already knows how to get to a one-drill pull-up. The mechanics are clean. He's already knows how to be a complimentary passer. He already knows how to rotate on the backside and be a plus team defender. It's the little stuff that will get unlocked as he puts on weight. And I just think that's a bet that, I'm continually getting higher and higher on, especially when you can consider the, the rest of the class. And it's also so the, from a... the difference between say, you
1: and me. I don't think he's gonna. I think some team is gonna talk themselves into him high.
2: Yeah. No. I. 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 I agree. Um, but it just, just based on it seems like there's a consensus top five, which I don't we, disagree. We know that, which yeah. I don't. I don't agree with at all but there is a consensus top 5 with the 2G league guys um Cade Mobley, and Suggs.
1: Okay, I hold on. I will I'll bite before we finish up on day why why don't you agree with the top 5?
2: <laughs> uh we want to, you want to do this now. Just well yeah, quickly. Well yeah, let's do it now. Come on. Um Jonathan Kaminga.
1: Oh, okay. That's yeah. That's fine. I think we, we talked about coming a little bit last
2: time. I'm, I'm so last yeah. time I was on the pod, I was anti green pro Kaminga and that has taken a complete 180. Really, yeah, complete I mean, 180 between those two guys. Um, green is the real deal, he, I, I think so. Sure seems like it to me from the G League games that I watch. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a legit scoring off guard who is a ridiculous athlete. And we can kind of leave it at that because I think they're, I don't even want to think about it because I don't no, think there's don't any chance.
1: To, we don't need to, but yeah. no, I, I, I think, um, but when we talked, the G league season
2: hadn't, maybe they played a game. They had played like two games. It was like two games. Um, yeah. And so, so it was like, it yeah. was a quick knee jerk reaction, but anyways, you know what I was kind of getting at is that. So those five guys are already going. Yeah. That's relatively, relatively settled. Scotty Barnes is going to go high. A team will fall in love with him. I'm very confident in that. Jalen Johnson seems to have held up his stock somehow, some way um, in the back-end top 10. Yeah, We're just not going to get into that. We don't need to talk about and that. Keon Johnson seems to have held up his stock. Davion Mitchell is getting a ton of buzz. And all of a sudden, you're looking at like 10 or 11, and these guys are sneakily on the board. And I mean, I Moody, just Moody's not like,
1: going to drop that far.
2: I don't think Moody drops that far. ESPN dropped him to like 24 that's, after the tournament, which, yeah. Is, that's uh, stupid.
1: The kid's 19. He's not 19. He's 18, actually, still. Um, okay. yeah.
2: yeah. So so I think Moody is probably gone. Franz, I am not sure. I, I think if we can get up to like 14, I think we might have a shot. But okay. Springer's going to be there, it seems like. And I think that's sprinting to the podium with him. <laughs> Uh, and then Zaire. Zaire is gonna be interesting. I think Zaire probably is one of the wider draft ranges. Okay. On draft night, uh, like you said, team could pick him at six, and all right, run with it. Like, you trust your, you trust your training conditioning staff. I'm all in. Like okay. there's just an avenue where that there's an avenue where that works, and I'm not comfortable saying that about everyone in this class.
1: Okay. All right. Um. This has been great. Um, oh, oh, hold on, one more. I have to. I have to get this because I didn't ask about him last time, and this is now. If I don't ask about him now, I'm going to kick myself because, um, as I said, the Knicks have the are going to have the thirty third, thirty second, thirty third, whatever pick, um, at the beginning of the season before they played any basketball games. Uh, BJ Boston was.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm I, glad. I, I, I just so I have I, to. I have to. I th- I thought about throwing BJ in at for 20, um in that group for 20. Interesting. And it's just He was know. for it's, anybody who didn't watch any Kentucky yeah. year, he was I'll say it. He was a
1: fucking atrocity. He was yeah, absolutely I mean it was And
2: I I've said like I, I've said like if BJ like if VJ turns out to be like a good MBO wing, like I'm I, I'm lost at that point because it was so 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 bad. And
1: yeah
2: uh, But I can't quit it. I really can't. And at some point, like he's worth it. I'm sorry. There's going to be a point where he's you like absolutely worth it. If he's there at 32, I'm very into that. I something happens with the Mavs pick and they get to 22. I'd be into him at 22. I mean, the guys that I have in that range right now, looking at BJ, uh, Josh Christopher, this is in like the low 20s, BJ, okay. Josh Christopher, Deuce McBride, Kessler Edwards, TJ Shens around there, Garuba, but Garuba and the Knicks, I don't really see that with our front court overload, but oh any one of those wings, like I'm, I'm really into taking a shot on one of those wings, whether it's Kessler, whether it's Terrence and like with all three picks, honestly, because basically what I'm getting at is like, I don't see the lead guard that's going to be there for us and be our guy so why wait why waste the pick swing for the fences when you can just continue to add to the infrastructure and it's the same flawed philosophy that kind of landed us obi instead of Devin vassell which i'll i won't get over for a while but when you have a chance to like rewrite that and go for moody franz springer zaire all these guys who are going to give you a real shot to add plus value and just show up your wing rotation you can never have too many wings. And,
1: and to be clear, like I want to talk about the point guards today, clearly because it's what it's what people are going to, if people are interested in it already. And as we get closer to the draft, I think people are going to obviously gravitate towards that position when they're thinking about the Knicks. But like, I agree with you in the sense that look, if they're sold on a guy, I, I'll trust, you know, Walt Perrin, the whole, all that. But like, do I like looking through all of the possible point guard options for the Knicks next year? I think there we need, to, there's this temptation to be like, all right, we got to build the foundation of the, the next 10 years. Like right now, we got our, nope. you know, that's not, it's not how you build NBA teams. It's not what the Knicks should be thinking. Um I'm, I'm, and I'm happy we did this because this, again, we get a sense that really there are no, there's no short that the, 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 like the, the concept of a short thing point guard that you could just mm-hmm. like draft them. And then it's a couple of years and it's going to work like that clearly is not the case. So, you know,
2: and, and you know, you need to properly identify your rebuilding timeline. And this isn't to say that I don't think the Knicks can compete anytime in the near future, but Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't going anywhere. No, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving and James Harden are not going anywhere. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons aren't going anywhere. So you need to be realistic about identifying your window to compete and why are we rushing a rebuilding process that, for the first time in ten years, we actually have some real footing on? I'm just not in the headspace to rush that. Let's take it slowly. We well, the a couple t- picks. The tough and- part is
1: like you're you're the tanking days. are Like you're not getting any more top five oh. picks, but that does not mean that you have to swing for the fences on a particular position in a particular draft. And I think what, you know, you talked about them before to reference the, the Spurs. Other organizations have done this. Toronto's been very good at it. There's been a few that are really good at it to just draft guys who are like, this dude has a really high ceiling and it will, it may not help us today. It may not help us tomorrow, but it will help us in the long run. If we take this player, which is why I was so happy you said Zaire. Does it might is Zaire, maybe he work, turns, out, turns out to be great. Maybe he turns out to be terrible. I don't know. But like, that's a guy that if they took that dude and took a swing on that dude, I would be so impressed. I would be absolutely mm-hmm. floored. And I hope they do. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, and just going with those wings would signal philosophy from the front office that I'd be very encouraged by. And, yeah. and like, I'll leave everyone with this. Like the ending to my Franz Wagner piece w- w- was something along the lines of this. It was how many. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it was, I was like very proud of it. One of the, one of the more well thought out and like you all the time. I have these like philosophy thoughts and I can't figure out how to actually express them. And this one, I was like, okay, I actually got out what I was trying to say. And it was basically like how many teams have just have just ruined and tarnished their rebuilding process because they kept swinging for the fence for that stud guy instead of Mm -hmm. adding positive infrastructure around them. And then the next question was, how many guy, how many teams have actually gotten their guy, yet it's been so flawed and hasn't worked out because of the lack of positive infrastructure already already in place to help them? Not there's very few Lucas Like very few guys are just gonna come in no matter what's around them and just be a clear-cut stuff from day one. Usually rookies need a positive environment. And so with the Knicks right now, we have a very good piece in R.J. Barrett. Emmanuel quickly is going to be something. Julius Randle is an all-star. Let's yeah. continue to add. Like, we have st- things now. Let's continue to add to that. So when we do identify our guy, he actually has a good ecosystem around him and can flourish from day one.
1: Well, and, and just, I'll I'll finish up the thought even, even further. If you look at, you know, it's it's funny. I think in some ways... Donovan Mitchell was the worst thing to happen to like talking about drafts because he went 13th. Right. And he is doing, and, and it's, and it's also funny because if you look at Donovan Mitchell and you look at his efficiency and you actually, he he's, he's not the, he's not Dame or Steph, but it, they make it work in Utah. Right. They make it work. And that's its own case And most of the time, the guys that are falling, I feel like in drafts that slip are, you know, it's it's like you said, it's wings. Right. It's these it's and let's see if we could take this lump of clay. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. Um, And I hope they have, you know, unless again, if they think they have their version of Donovan Mitchell and um, and uh, they could create the right, you know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting. Like you've, you've used that word a few times. It's going to be interesting.
2: Very interesting. Um, Thank you so much for having me on, John. This was a ton of fun. Oh, it was a blast. Always love talking draft and especially with the Knicks.
1: Yeah, we're, we'll do. Uh, let's plan on doing one more before. The, let's after the lottery and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get, you know, a couple of weeks before the draft so we could really hone in. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll fuck around and do a, a mock draft or something. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> um, let, I know I said it at the beginning but just tell, tell folks at home uh, one more time where they could find you
2: so you can follow me on Twitter at Jake the Paint uh, you can go on my website see pieces I've been referencing and subtly plugging throughout you're very good at that. Yeah. I'm terrible. Yeah. You're good at it. I, it's, it just kind of flows off the tongue. My, my dad always messes with me about that. He's like, how many it's times? So he goes, How many times are you going to tell people you wrote about Jared Butler? And I'm like, every time I talk about him. Um, and so you can find those pieces on the website at jakeinthepaint.com. uh Prep to Pro podcast. We're on all platforms: Apple, Spotify. We've been trying to Both of us are very busy right now. Max with work and college, me with college and whatever I'm doing on the side. But we're trying to be more diligent about getting episodes out. And of course, Henry and I are hosting a weekly show on Locker Room App, which honestly was a blast last week. We had a ton of fun. The Locker Room App's awesome because you can come in, ask us questions, we see it in the chat, and it's really fun. Yeah. So it's a little bit more casual. We don't. We kind of. uh, we are just talking about it before I hopped on this pod and have a couple guys we want to hit on, but it's up to whoever's listening and they'll tell us who to talk about. And we'll answer all those questions. So you can tune into that on every every nine and EM, 9 PM Eastern every Wednesday. Um, Do yourself a favor. If you're listening to this,
1: go follow Jake on Twitter um, because you're gonna be happy. You did. Um, he's he's really good and you're going to be a lot smarter about this draft um and go listen to his pod go uh check out his locker room jake you're the man um and everybody else out there thank you for listening to another episode of the show and uh we'll be back with you uh very soon Peace.